Thank uh, everyone for the prayers, for the phone calls, and the thoughts. Of, uh, on my behalf, after my car accident on last Tuesday, um, yeah, life is precious. And uh, Brother May and I was just having a conversation about that earlier that day. And uh, somebody decided they want to play bumper cars on the interstate. And uh, apparently my car lost, you know, so, um, but it's, it's all good. Cars can be replaced, but lives cannot. But uh, one thing today I want to talk about is uh, being confident in our positions as Christians, being confident in our knowledge of the word, being confident in what we're supposed to be doing as we go out here into this world, you know? So it starts with a solid foundation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, When my girls are are reading, you know, especially when they first started out reading, they would sound certain words out, Mm -hmm. right? And they would sound it out slowly and they would sound unsure of themselves. And I would always say, say it with confidence because you're saying the right word, but you sound unsure of yourself. So say it with confidence, you know? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going back to the basics. Okay, so we're going back to the basics. Is it coming up back there, Brian? Bring up PowerPoint or go to downloads. Go to Last week, we touched on it in second service, and uh, it, it sparked a, a, a memory of a conversation that I had with a, a co-worker of mine, right? She said, hey, T, uh, it just seems like today in religion or just dealing with people in general, everybody want to worship Jesus, but no one recognizes God, you know? She said, everybody worships Jesus, but no one wants to recognize God. Mm-hmm. And in my dramatics, <laughs> right, I said, boom, 
I scared some of y'all, right? Now you're dead, right? Your time on this time side has now ended. Now you are in this eternal resting place. And now you're on a bench trial before God, right? In this bench trial, right, so in the legal system, you have two types of trials, right? You have a bench trial and a, tri- and a, and a jury trial, mm-hmm. right? A jury trial, you're being tried by your peers, mm-hmm. right? A panel of your peers. In a bench trial, it's just you and the judge, mm-hmm. right? So it's just you and the judge. You also got a prosecutor there as well, right? Now, this prosecutor is Satan, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Satan, he's going to present all of his evidence against you for all of the wrong and the sin that you've done over your entire life, mm-hmm. right? Not believing in Jesus is similar to representing yourself at this bench trial, right? Not believing in Jesus is representing yourself at this bench trial, mm-hmm. you know? So now you have all of this wrong that you've done being used as evidence against you. So how will you be able to deny the tapes? Right? Mm-hmm. Everything that we do is recorded in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So how are you going to deny the tapes? You've been caught red-handed. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to deny the tapes? Say he's going to see, see exhibit A, your honor. Mm-hmm. Roll the footage. Right? And you've been caught red-handed committing mm-hmm. sin. And also, there were witnesses who saw you commit this sin. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you just didn't do it in the privacy of your own home. You committed the sin publicly. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So without Jesus, your representation is, is, is none. You don't have any because you're representing yourself. Right. And so some people may try to call on him at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Right? And what's his response going to be? Right, right here. Yeah. Matthew 7, 21, 23. Yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many would say to me in that last day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, Mm -hmm. cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And another translation says, you workers of iniquity. Right? And so now you've just been found guilty Mm -hmm. of all the sins that you've committed. So what happens at that point? Now you're going to be cast into the lake of fire, which is that second death, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So now, let's roll it back. Now, if we foster a relationship with Jesus, according to his word, do things his way, then we may have his representation for us on that judgment day. Right. So now we're not standing in this, in this bench trial alone. We're not representing ourselves now. We now have representation by Jesus Christ. Right. And now all of a sudden, all of the wrong that we've been accused by the prosecutor, Jesus, he's going to step in on our defense. Right. He's going to step in on our defense. And when that happens, the judge is going to rule not guilty. That debt has already been paid on the cross. Amen. And we find that in Romans 5, 6 and 11, where it says, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. 
but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Amen. Right? And I got more scripture for it. In First John, we're correcting John chapter 10, 7 and 9. It says, Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And, if, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. Another one, John 14 and 6, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Amen. Right? So it's not that Jesus is being glorified more than God, but we know the doorway. Right? Amen. We have access to that doorway, and that doorway will lead into everlasting life. So Amen. you have to have that relationship with Christ before you can going to the Father just asking and demanding any and everything, right? And when I was doing this, it reminded me of a time when I was 16, mm -hmm. right? And um, I had first got my driver's license, and I had a lead foot back then, mm -hmm. right? I had a lead foot. So uh, during that time, I lived in Union City, right? And Union City Police Department mm -hmm. pretty much knew me by name because I was always being pulled over and given a ticket by Union City Police, right? And um, I was given tickets from anything ranging from speeding to running a stop sign to uh, failure to uh, uh, improper lane change or following too closely when I had an accident, when I tapped somebody from behind because they was taking too long. But anytime I got a ticket, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. You know, I, I was not in fear. Uh, I had an aunt. She used to work for Union City Police Department, <laughs> right? She's now retired, and the statute of limitations is now gone, so it doesn't matter. Right? So, so I can tell the story. So she used to work for Union City Police, not as a police officer, but she worked in the records section, right? So she handled all of the records. So whenever I would get a ticket, somehow, miraculously, she'll make it disappear, right? So one day, I didn't tell my aunt that I got a ticket. I just showed up to court that day, right? And she sees me standing in line with all the other people. And she's like, boy, what are you doing here? I said, got another ticket, auntie. Sorry, you know. So we went in there, and when it was my turn for this bench trial, it was just me and the judge. I'm representing myself, right? And then as I come up to the podium and I hear the charge uh, read against me about, uh, what was I, speeding? And um, it was a, a registration violation on the vehicle as well. I saw my aunt lean over to the judge and whisper something in her ear. And she looked at me, the judge looked at me, and uh, the judge said, case dismissed. Mr. Thomas, you may be excused. I said, wow. <laughs> wow. She got the sauce, you know, telling the judge on the bench. But. I say that to say it's, it's about relationship, right? It's about who you know, who you have access to, you know? We can have that same access through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Not guilty. And you may walk your way. 
So one thing I want us to look at, this book right here, the book of Matthew, right? The book of Matthew, the audience is the Jews, right? It's detailing to them that Jesus, he is that Messiah that they've been prophesying about this entire time, right? The book of Matthew in chapter one, it opens up with the genealogy of Jesus, right? And it traces his lineage back to David and to Abraham, two very prominent esteemed men of the Jewish faith, right? And it's showing that Jesus, he has a birthright to the throne of God. Mm. It's showing that he has a birthright to the throne of God. And this book of the Matthew, it refers to the Old Testament more than any other book of the, uh, of the Gospels, right? This was done so that this may be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. This was done so that this could be fulfilled, right? So it's showing that Jesus' lineage was not a mistake, you know? It was purposeful. And it was done so that Jesus can be fulfilled so that way one day we may have reconciliation unto God. So Matthew 16, 13 through 18. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you Say that I am. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, Sometimes in the Bible, you get locations of particular places. Mm-hmm. It's important. We talk about Caesarea Philippi. Well, what's the significance of Caesarea Philippi? Well, it's in a place of uh, modern-day Jordan, Israel, and Syria. So it's over there in the Middle East, right? And it's a place that's known as the Decapolis. So you got Deca prefix of uh, 10. So it's an area of at least 10 cities that come together where they all worship their own gods. So you've got many idol gods in this particular area, right? And this is where Jesus is. And he's in Caesarea Philippi. And he's a place that's great for, for, uh, for worship. You've got lush vegetation running by this water. And uh, Jesus and his uh, disciples are Jews in Gentile territory, right? So they're Jews in Gentile territory. And Jesus asked a specific question, who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And Jesus asked his disciples that. In the midst of all of this confusion, people in this area, who do they think I am? All right? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some even think he's one of the prophets. But then he asked the question directly to his disciples who's been walking with him this entire time. Yeah. Right? Who've seen him perform various miracles from feeding thousands with two fish and five loaves of bread to giving sight to the blind and making the lame able to walk again and also define the laws of gravity by walking on water. And he also calmed the storm with three words, peace, be still. Right? He wanted to know who did they say that he was. So Peter, outspoken Peter, he said that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? Then Jesus, what did he do? He made a declaration upon that statement, right? 
Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon what rock are we talking about? You know, a physical rock? No, we're talking about the rock that Peter proclaimed, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So Christ, he is that foundation of the church. Right? Right. And when we think of church, I don't want us to think of sectarianism where we're talking about the division and all, all of these different denominations like Seventh-day Adventists and Methodists and Baptists and all that stuff. This is before then. It predates all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So Christ said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus only spoke of one church. Right. right? Not sure. churches, not like the restaurant, but one church. Man. Right. So this is the first time the word church is used in the Bible. Right. But the concept, it goes back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we look at Ephesians chapter two, 19 to 21, it says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Right. Christ, he is that chief cornerstone mm-hmm. of the church. Man. And that chief cornerstone is important, especially in masonry. We talk about building edifices. Right. It's the most important stone in the entire structure. Mm-hmm. The mason, he's going to take his precious time constructing this chief cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Right. That's going to determine if the structure is going to be facing north, south, east or west. It's going to determine if the structure will be crooked or straight. Mm-hmm. Right. So this chief cornerstone is very important when it comes to building a solid foundation. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, it says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you hold. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? That's a powerful verse right there. Right? So the rejected stone is the chief cornerstone. Right? And the cornerstone, it, it, it unites two walls, right, at the corner of a building. And it holds that building together. Peter said the Jews rejected Jesus. But now that rejected one is that chief cornerstone. Right? So... Without Jesus, there would be no church because it would not be able to stand. Man. Right? Man. Let's look at some scriptures for that. We got Psalm 111, well, 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In Mark 12, 9 to 10, it, it, it references Psalms. It says, therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine, the vine dresses and give the vineyard to the others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which was the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And First Peter references it as well. Therefore, it also it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Right? And then we talk about New Testament with Peter, but we can go back to the old and look at Isaiah. Right? Look at Isaiah 28. What does that say? 
Isaiah 28, 16 through 18. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hell will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding places. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. Right? So death will not keep you in the grave. We know that, right? So if you're building anything, you need to make sure you have a firm or a solid foundation or base. Right? So Isaiah, he spoke of this foundation of the, or the chief cornerstone, and it was laid in Zion. Right? This cornerstone, it is the Messiah. It is Jesus Christ. Right? The foundation on whom we should build our lives. Is your life built on a flimsy foundation? Or is it on a firm one? You're going to have to be the judge of that. Now, I want us to look at, we got some scriptures. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than which is, all laid, is already laid. That's Jesus Christ, right? So the foundation has been laid. Can't nobody come back behind Jesus Christ like they did and lay another foundation that you can be saved by. You can't do that, right? So the foundation of the church for all believers is Jesus Christ. Paul laid this foundation by teaching and preaching about Christ, right? And he began with that the church of uh, Corinth. And the church leaders and teachers and parents and just all members we must build with high-quality materials, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What is that? That's going to be sound doctrine, yeah. right? Sound doctrine, that high-quality material, that's what we're going to build on. And as church leaders and teachers, we must preach and teach sound doctrine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We have to preach sound doctrine. There's no way around it. Now, when we're talking about all this, we keep referencing the church and the foundation of the church and all of this stuff. Well, let's get into the church, right? So we're familiar with the term ecclesia, right? Being called out. And uh, some even say, just reference it as the assembly. Mm-hmm. And Christ said in Matthew, upon this rock, I will build my church or my assembly in some translations. Right? This declaration was made during a time where the Jews were God's assembly. Mm-hmm. So that's why they had a hard time accepting that this guy, he is the Messiah, right? Because they were his assembly. So Jesus was letting his disciples know that a change was going to come, mm-hmm. right? A change was going to come. I don't know if they picked that up, but they said a change is going to come. Now, the church is what we're referencing. It's not a building or an edifice, right? It's not a physical uh, structure. It's just a body of people, right? So when we look at Romans Chapter 16 and, and 5. Where is it? Is it up there? Yeah, it's right there. So Romans chapter 16 and 5, it says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Mm-hmm. Greet my beloved Epinus, Epinus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. So greet the church that is in their house. If you 
think of it, it doesn't make sense if you're talking about a physical building. Mm-hmm. Greet the church that is in their house. Buildings don't have their own houses, right? <laughs> so it's a body of people. Let's make it make sense, right? So back in Bible times, right, the church has different names. You got the temple of God, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God's son, and the churches of Christ, just to name a few of them, right? The church of Christ, the name, it, it denotes ownership. Mm-hmm. We're talking about ownership, right? Mm-hmm. And it's similar or akin to when a woman takes a man in marriage, right? Mm-hmm. She takes his last name, mm-hmm. right? That should let you know, uh, give you confidence that the church is not built on the back of a sinful man, right? right? right. All other religions outside of Church of Christ is built on the back of a sinful man, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if they're long gone, you can go find their gravestone somewhere mm-hmm. out in the graveyard, mm-hmm. you know? But you can't do that with Christ, nope. right? right? You can't do it with Christ. So it was made by man from heaven, by way of heaven, who committed no sin his entire stay on this time side of life. Just let that sink in. He committed no sin, not even a thought, no sin, you know, not in his actions, not in his speech, not in his thoughts. He committed no sin. And it was at that place of Caesarea Philippi where he said, I'm going to build my church, yeah. one church, right? But he was speaking in church universal, right? right? So you got Church of Christ universal. Talk about churches all over the world. It doesn't matter the geographical location, but it's a place where one obeys the gospel, right? They all teach the same doctrine, mm-hmm. the Church of Christ as a whole, right? But then you have church local. You got universal church, and then you have a local church. Your local church is going to be similar, similar like Locust Grove, Church of Christ, Boulder Crest, Church of Christ, McDonough, Church of Christ, you know, Fairview, Church of Christ. You got local mm-hmm. congregations, but they're unified in their doctrine, mm-hmm. right? They teach and preach the same thing, or at least they should, right? Mm-hmm. No matter where you go, if you got a Church of Christ, you should teach and preach the same thing, you know? Now, we know sometimes some who have the name Church of Christ may stray away, try to appease the masses, mm-hmm. but when you're sure of sound doctrine, when you know what you should know, when you study, when you show yourself approved, you know certain things shouldn't happen mm-hmm. in the church, mm-hmm. right? And if it does, then you need to exit stage left and get up out of there, Amen. you know? So when we think about a church, we have universal church, worldwide, church of Christ, and then you have church local, all right? So Jesus in Second Thessalonians, how we assemble by the calling of his gospel, right? Second mm-hmm. Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren and beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the attainment of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we're called by his gospel. Right. In Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, it says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church. You don't assemble with a building, right? You assemble with people. Mm-hmm. You assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Right? So they were first called Christians at Antioch. This is the first time the word Christians is used 
in the Bible. So you got three words here. You got disciples, you have church, you have Christians, right? The same way you became a Christian, it's the same way you became a disciple, it's the same way you become a member of the church, mm -hmm. right? So it's all synonymous. It's all the same body of people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Christians, disciples, church. It's all referring to the same people. So the way that I became a Christian is the same way everyone in here should have become a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. By the five steps, right? Mm -hmm. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, right? So the church is defined on the method or the process of how Jesus assembles his church. Mm -hmm. You hear, you believe, you repent, you confess, and you're baptized. And then after that, you remain faithful unto death, right? Right. So I said, like I said before, that, that process is the same for every single person. It's not special. It's, it's, it's not special for me. It's not special for anybody. That same process, everybody got to go through it, Amen. right? And so the Lord adds to his church his way, right? So by that, no one is going to accidentally stumble into the church. No one is going to sneak into the church. No one is going to be born into the church, right? No one is going to come in here and come into the church accidentally. You make a conscious decision to put on Christ in baptism and join his, his, his body, right? Amen. So you have to be added to his church his way. Amen. We can't be added to his church our way, right? right? And expect us to go to his heaven. That, yeah. that just doesn't think. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense if you think oh. about it. So you, you try to do things your way to get into his heaven. Mm. Would you allow somebody to come into your house their way? No. You know what I mean? Especially if you pay the bills there. So if you've got a house of your own and somebody, random person, just comes off the street and just turn the, door, the, 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 the doorknob and come into their house, you're not going to welcome them into mm. your house, you know, because they didn't come into your house your way. Amen. So you have your house. God has his house. Right. He wants you to come into his house his way, just as you would want somebody to come into your house mm -hmm. your way. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's make it make sense. So we're talking about the process. Right. And we talk about how we're going to be summoned. Let's look at Mark. Mark 16, 14 through 16 says what? Later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, Amen. right? So that's our, what we consider the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world, preach to all the creatures, right? To every creature. Are you going to do that if you don't have confidence in where you stand, mm -mm. right? If you don't have confidence in this is the right place to be, are you going to go out there into all the world and share the good news of the gospel? You're not, you know what I mean? So that's why, back to the basics, and gain that confidence in knowing that you're in the right place, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're, you're in the right place. So Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world, telling everyone that he paid the penalty for sin, mm -hmm. right? And to those who believe in him, they can be forgiven and have eternal life with God. That's the driving power that carries Christians around the world, proclaiming and professing the gospel. It's free, right? It's free to you and me. All you have to do is obey. Simple as that. All you have to do is obey. And sometimes we may feel like we don't have the skill to go out and do that or don't have the determination 
to go out and do that. But we must realize that personally, Jesus Christ, he died for our sins, Amen. right? And he rose from the dead for us and he lives today, right? So it's not like we should be ashamed that Christ died for us, right? Mm. But some of us act that way because we are tight lipped when it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, like I said, the, the conversation happened at work. The workplace is iffy, right? Politics and religion, not something you want to talk about, but you open that door, I'm going to walk through it. Mm-hmm. You know? You open that door, I'm going to walk through it. So as we grow in our relationship with Christ, he's going to give us both the opportunity and the inner strength to tell his message. Amen. Right? As we grow and develop in our relationship with Christ, he's going to give us the opportunity and that inner strength that we need to go and tell his message. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're talking about go out to all the world and go preach the gospel to every creature. Right? So when we think of the word preach, you got the root in Greek is caruso, right? means herald. So if you think about kings and queens, you had a herald during that time. And that herald is to bring the good news, right? to announce publicly and with conviction that the king is on his way back. Amen. Okay? The king is on his way back. And it's to announce his arrival to assemble the masses and to let them know that he's coming back. Now, you may say, like, you may see somebody on the street corner with a sign that says, Jesus is coming back and whatnot, and you're like, that dude's a little loony bird, you know what I mean? You want to take it that far? That's, that, that's your prerogative. But opportunities around us all, right. all the time. A lot of times we overlook it, you know. But it's our task with this great commission to go and preach the gospel. Right. So the herald was to announce the king's arrival. With that herald, just like with us, we cannot add to his word, nor can we take away from his word. Right. It is what it is. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. We can't leave parts out because that may be a little offensive. It is what it is. We didn't write it. You know, we can't add to it because we feel like. If it says this, then maybe they'll be more convicted. No, that's not our, that's not our role. Amen. We just need to plant that seed and let God do the rest. Amen. Right? Let us plant that seed and let God do the rest. So when we're talking about this one church, this church of Christ that is by the book, and that's why when, when I first started coming here, that's one thing that, that, that stuck out with me. This is a church that's by the book. Not just this congregation, but the, the Church of Christ as a whole. You know, mm-hmm. if you have Bible questions, you're given a Bible answer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're not given, well, I think, well, this should be, well, no. You, you're given to you where, where you can read it in black and white, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how I like to operate, you know? Mm-hmm. If, if I can read it in black and white for myself, there's no way that I could deny it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But if you tell me what you think, then... Mm, I'm not going to go with that, you know what I mean? Because what you think is different than what somebody else thinks. But what is written in my Bible is the same thing that's written in somebody else's Bible. I cannot deny that. That's right. Right? And so that's the one thing that had me stuck on this church. But the Bible and the books of, or the letters of John, right? You got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, right? John is taking a strong stance about Christ being that son of God, Right? He's taking a strong stance about Christ being that son of God. In 2 John 
7 through 11, it says, For many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Right? You're sharing in his evil deeds. You're saying without saying you agree with him. Right? So, when we think about this passage right here, whoever abides in this doctrine have both the Father and the Son. Right? But if anyone does not bring this doctrine, which doctrine? The one that Christ talked about at Caesarea Philippi. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Does not build, uh, bring this doctrine. Do not receive them in your house. We have to realize and understand that there are many false teachers out there. Right? And those false teachers, they're going to promote an understanding of the word their way. Right? And that's where I go back to talk about I think, or I should, or you may, you know. It's not in black and white. But the many false teachers, they're going to promote an understanding of Jesus that's not biblical, right? It's not biblical. And we must realize and understand that these people are dangerous, you know. Maybe not to us physically, but spiritually, they're dangerous, you know, because they can twist words and say things that, you know what, that does make sense. You know, I never thought about it that way. I see what you're saying, you know, without reading or, or looking into the entire context of what's being said. All right. They use all the right words, but they change the meanings. Right. They change the meanings. So think about this. The way your teacher lives says a lot about their belief in God's word. Right? The way that they live says a lot about their belief in God's word. And the, they don't realize it, but their entire job is just to undermine the Christian faith. Right? And John instructed believers not to show hospitality to false teachers. They were to do nothing that would encourage them in their propagation of these falsehoods. Right? Additionally, if we as believers were to invite these false teachers in our house, then we're going to give that appearance that we approve of what they said or even what they did. You know, so you got these people that come knock on your door early mornings. You want to open the door. Come on in. And you think you're going to persuade them to obey the gospel. Come on now. I'm pretty sure they probably more convicted than you are, you know, but that's what I'm saying. You have to be solid and ensure your foundation of where you stand. So that way you won't even welcome them in your house. You know what I mean? You won't even entertain a conversation with them. And it's not being mean or rude. You're just abiding by God's word, you know. It, is, 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 is it best to be hospitable or is it best to obey God's word, right? We got to think about that. False teaching, that's, gonna, that, that's serious business, you know. False teaching is serious business. And we dare not to overlook their false teachings just to be hospitable to unbelievers, right? It's so serious that John wrote it in this letter. 
He wrote it in his letter to warn us against it. There are so many false teachers in this world that we might be tempted to take it lightly. You know, we might be tempted to take it lightly. Instead, we need to realize that there's a very real danger to our souls. And they, then they pose a danger to our souls and not to take them lightly and to actively refuse any type of heresies or any type of uh, undermining of God's word. <clears throat> we need to refuse that. So when we think about this, some say that God is narrow-minded, you know, <laughs> just because of this passage right here. Matthew 7, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it, you know. If we're going to say that we believe the Bible, then we also believe back in the days of Noah that only eight souls were saved. Right? We also believe that eight souls were saved. So narrow is the gate. Not a lot of people can fit through a narrow gate, you know? Not a lot of people can fit through a narrow gate, but wide is the way that leads to destruction, right? So many people are gonna go that way because it's the path of least resistance, right? It's the easy way, you know? I'm gonna go down easy street because this, this, this narrow gate is too tight. It's too tight for me, you know? It's too, it's too tight. You say, I can't do too much stuff, you know? I, mind you, all the stuff I wanna do is stuff of the world, you know? But, the teachings that y'all teach over there is just, is just too tight for me. I'm not, I don't, I don't think God is that narrow-minded, you know. I think he's loving and, and he's accepting of me and my faults and all of my uh, issues that I have. And I'm going to make it into heaven just because I'm a good person, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I do good to people. I give to people. I help the homeless and whatnot. Meanwhile, you haven't obeyed the gospel, yeah, right. you know. So it doesn't matter how good of a person you are, you still don't have or won't have his representation on that judgment day. That's right. That's right. You know what I'm saying? All of the good that you've done, you still fail to obey his commands, mm -hmm. right? So you still fail to obey his commands. So we're not necessarily judged on our goodness of heart, but our obedience to his word. Mm -hmm. right? And in us being obedient, obviously we're going to be good, but it's his obedience that trumps all of that goodness. Right? So we must know and understand that we need to obey his word, obey his commands. And this doctrine that we learn here in the Church of Christ is that solid foundation. Amen. Right? Amen. It's that solid foundation. So no, I don't want to take up too much time. I already have 40-something minutes. We got that solid foundation. And we know that the winds are going to come, the rains are going to come, but at the end of the day, we're still going to be standing, right? But if we build it, just like the three little pigs, right? We build a house with straw and sticks. When the big bad wolf comes, it's going to tumble down. But we build that brick house when that big bad wolf, that Satan comes, we're going to be protected. Amen. You understand? Mm -hmm. So no one understand that. Say it with confidence. Say it with confidence. Amen. Be sure in where you are. And sound sure when you're telling others about how great your God is Amen. and Amen. where we come from. Amen. You know, because at the end of the day, if somebody come to me, not sound assured themselves, I'm not going to listen too much of it. You know what I mean? Because if you don't believe what you're telling me, 
ain't no way I'm going to follow you and, and, and believe as well, you know? And um, in, in, in just that principle alone, that's how other religions are so successful and bring the masses to them, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They sound so persuasive and so convicted right. that there is no other way, that's you know? Right. Let's take that page out of their book and use it over here. Amen. Okay. That's it. Leave everything else. But that conviction and that sense of surety, knowing that there is no other way. Mm-hmm. This is the way. That's right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's right. There is no other way to God except through him. Yeah. You know? So we must know that we need to worship him like he orders us to. We need to serve him and praise him like he orders us to. You know, It's not that we're excluding God out of the equation, but we know that doorway which we must enter heaven through, right? Mm. And we must have that relationship with Christ first before we can make heaven our home. Amen. Amen. And so, as I close, we know we got that five-step process that we must do in order to become a member of God's word or his body. We must hear the word, right? We must believe what we're hearing. You must believe what you're hearing. Would you believe what you're hearing if what's being said is said in insecurity or is not uh, confident, if the, the, if the speaker is not confident in what he or she is saying? You, you're not going to make that move and be like, that's the move I need to make. You know? right. If you're saying, maybe you, need to, maybe you just need to come to church. Maybe you need to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you need to do, maybe nothing. You need to do this. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So you need to hear, you need to believe what you're hearing. You need to confess, and then you also need to repent. Right? Right. Turn from your evil ways. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from the ways that is not according to God's word. Mm-hmm. You need to turn from that. Once you repent, now you can be baptized for what? Amen. The remission of your sins. Right. Right? Right. Just like cancer patients want their cancer to go into remission, want to go away. The remission of your sins, let it go away. Mm-hmm. And it can only be done away with by his blood, right? Yeah. And that watery grave of baptism. So, baptized his way, we can get up. And one day, when we do die on this time side, we can call heaven our home. You know? mm-hmm. We've established that relationship. Amen. After we baptize, now it is upon us, incumbent upon us, to live faithful until the day that we die. Man. Right, we must live faithful until the day that we die. We've heard, we believe, we confess, we repented, and now we've been baptized. Cool. Now we still have to live faithful mm-hmm. until the day that we lay our hands folded in the rest. Amen. 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 So I just want to leave you guys with that, and just know that the foundation of the church is sure. Mm-hmm. The foundation of the church is sure, yeah. and we go back to Ephesians four and four, right, where it says there is only one body. One, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So we know we got one. Mm -hmm. Is that one that you're in built on the back of a sinful man? Or is it built on the one who had no sin, whose name is on his building, right? Who built it with his hands? Hmm. Who is that chief cornerstone? Hmm. 
Right? So if where we're serving is not the place where Christ built, it's not a place that's built on that solid foundation, then maybe we, maybe we need to adjust fire and, and reassess what we're doing, where we're at. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I just want to leave you guys with that. And we may stand for a song and the invitational prayer. Hey, 530. 530.